0: And they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today we're going to learn that if you're looking to build an elite team, you got to be on the lookout for the drama triangle and learn how to avoid it. And joining us to walk us through what that means is Cesar Lostinow. Let me give you a little bit of background on Cesar. He's the current director of DEIB at Anywhere Real Estate. He's the founder of the Latino DEI Collective and board advisor to that organization as well. He's a faculty member of the DEI Coaching Center. He's had senior corporate roles in property and casualty insurance, as well as originally starting out in a technical background from the CTA. He's a certified coach. He's a Toastmaster. He's a PMP. He's got a bunch of other stuff too. So Cesar Lawson, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be with you and everyone else, Dr. Jim. Thanks for the chance.
0: I know that I just breezed through the bio, but why don't you fill us in a little bit on what you feel is important for the listeners to know that might not have been included in that bio.
1: Thanks for sharing the professional bio. I always like to bring Everything to the conversation. So let me share a little bit of my personal bio, and that's an immigrant background. I was born in Lima, Peru, moved to the States, Chicago to be more specific, when I was eight. And my parents have a a great immigrant story, looking for better opportunities for really my younger brother Gustavo and I more than anything. And that's what got us here. So I complain about the winters in Chicago every winter, yet I do nothing about it. I'm still here, but I love this city. It's a wonderful city for those had a chance. To visit, I hope uh, they've enjoyed everything that Chicago has to offer: great food, great culture, great diversity, great d- architecture—so much to offer. And I bring that to everything that I do as a leader: my authentic self as a Latino, as a Peruvian, as an immigrant, and the professional accomplishments that you mentioned.
0: So it's really interesting. And Caesar, you and I have uh, have hung out before, so I know a little bit of the backstory on this. But I think it would be helpful for you to get the listeners up to speed on how your immigrant upbringing and background has informed how you show up in a leadership position throughout your career.
1: It's been a journey first and foremost, and in full disclosure, it was a journey where in the earlier part of my immigrant experience, I wasn't as proud. I've learned to be more proud. A lot of it has to do with just having access to mentors that look like me, think like me, and, and very real mentors, people that I have access to. And I'm, I'm grateful for that coaches mentors, sponsors through that, I think more than anything, it's helped me build my confidence in who I am and, and making sure that because I have access to these leaders and I've seen them be proud of their background in, in work and community type of environments, it's helped me understand I could do the same. I could also be proud to be Peruvian and Latino and make sure that I bring everything to the conversations because I think that's what I really add the most value to my teams and my organization.
0: I I really appreciate how you shared that it's something that you've worked on and have learned over time, not to paint with too broad a brush, but I think it's a similar journey that a lot of immigrants fall into initially, especially if you're in that Gen X cohort. We came, I'm an immigrant as well, and our parents probably instilled in us the value of integration, assimilation, and in the process of doing that, some of us might have lost the whole identity bit and real connection and community with our native heritages. So keeping that in line and keeping connected with that is an important takeaway that I gathered from the conversations that you and I have had before. When you think about your current role and what you're most proud of so far, what is that accomplishment?
1: The first one that comes to mind, and it's a team effort, so I need to make sure that I acknowledge the entire team and the entire organizations to help with this. but. It's literally moving the needle on increasing diversity. And in my lane, it's increasing the diversity of broker owners into our brands. So that's something I'm proud of. And to put a number to that 50% from when I started doing this type of work at one of our brands here, Century 21 Real Estate, a global iconic brand in the real estate, residential real estate space. So doing that on purpose and intentionally, when I just joined the organization about two and a half years ago, and increasing that with limited resources, I might add, to 50% with all the diversity dimensions that matter to us, women, Latinos, African-American, Asian-American, Pacific Islander, military, and LGBTQ+, literally moving the needle. And as most of us in this space know, it's hard to do that. I'll show you in a business-to-business type of environment where we and I attract independent broker owners into our franchise system. It's hard to do that. And doing that right off the bat, 50% has been successful. It has been quite an accomplishment for me.
0: I like how you shared that. Why is that a specific strategic focus for anywhere real estate? What's the root of that? Our
1: why is rooted in two things. One, internally, it's the right thing to do. Externally, the demographic... In this country is shifting rapidly. More and more homeowners are becoming increasingly diverse. Historically, that hasn't been the case. In fact, some statistics show the Urban Institute just projected that by 2040, 70 percent that seven out of ten—new homeowners will be Hispanic Latino. So, we, as a very metric-driven organization, are mindful of where the country is shifting in terms of homeownership growth. So, we are deliberate about making sure that our broker owners as well as our age as well as our agents and employee workforce reflect just
0: that. You've already gotten that with limited resources to I think you would reference 50% in uh, in a relatively short amount of time. Now when you think about what is left to do and the moonshots that you have on your radar, what are the big moonshots that you have on your radar over the next 12 to 18 months that you want to knock out?
1: I certainly want to double that. 50% was a good start. If I could get that to 100% in terms of my goals, that's going to be a huge accomplishment. But at the end of the day, I think when I think about true moonshot and really going where we need to be is really parity with the marketplace. If 50% or 51% of the U.S. population are women, then I believe that we sh- half of our broker owners should be women as well as our agent base. So I, my, my really vision for this type of work among all the brands that I get to represent at the anywhere real estate umbrella level is to ensure that all the brands are as diverse as the marketplace. And if we are even more diverse in the marketplace and we could serve everyone in whatever capacity they bring to the table in terms of whether it's their ethnic background or the languages that they speak, if we could make sure we do that, to get more people into homes, especially the first time home buyer, I think that's where we wanna be as well.
0: Awesome stuff. So when you think about your current position, what's the most fun aspect about what you do right now?
1: To me, it's the people aspect of this work, Dr. Jim. It's the fact that I get to interact with successful entrepreneurs and help them think bigger about their work. And as a purpose-driven leader that is always on a mission with everything that I do, It's really fun to do this on purpose with something that I truly believe in. Not only because I'm an immigrant, not only because I see the change in the African Chicago and beyond wherever I travel, but also because of the fact that this is fun. It's fun to help people grow. It's fun to help people understand what their potential is. And we get the chance to do that with the opportunities that I have at Anywhere Real Estate.
0: I love how you mentioned the phrase think bigger. And when we're talking about building high performance teams, There's always an element of thinking bigger that comes into play, and it provides a nice springboard for the rest of our conversation. I referenced this earlier. You know, you have to learn and understand what the drama triangle is, and you also have to learn and understand how to avoid it. So taking all of that into account, when you look at your career and the things that you've learned, what was the game-changing realization that ramped up your ability to build high-performance teams?
1: I would pin that as doing my own personal growth work in full disclosure, like be understanding myself better, understanding the emotional intelligence and the social intelligence aspects of my interaction with teams have, has been the game changer. It wasn't until I took a strategic timeout where I said, I'm not understanding my emotions. I'm not, I, I wasn't able to, I was a point in my life many years ago where I just knew something wasn't working for me. I wasn't where I needed to be, at least I felt, in my career, in my life. So I made a deliberate choice through friends and mentors who invited me to do personal growth work. I learned to understand the psychology behind my behavior and other people's behavior. And that's if I were to put a pin on what has been that sort of journey that has gotten me to this level that where I am today and has helped me interact and influence and lead people more effectively, it's better understanding emotional intelligence and social intelligence.
0: I'm really interested in that perspective that you brought out because it's not something that we've directly addressed in previous conversations. Now, you mentioned that the big thing that was a game changer for you was realizing that you have to work on yourself. What's the story behind that?
1: it was a personal setback. It was a traumatic setback. And it was involving the relationship with the person that I thought was the most important person in my life. At that point, my former wife, I went through a divorce in 2012. And I, I just went through a, a shock that I had never, and a jolt really that I had never, ever felt before. And that's when I started really doubting myself, doubting my relationships, doubting who I was as a person. So it was a very, it was trauma if I were to bottom line it that forced me to think differently and look introspectively and start my personal growth work journey. It wasn't until I went through that, and as I think about others that I've coached, mentored, and seen, sometimes it's very real trauma that gets us to move on things, that gets, inspires us to even think broader than what is going on in our world. That was a personal setback. But guess what? I took that personal setback, of course, did some work to really identify the answers to questions that I had going on in my head internally as a person. But then I was able to apply that to my teams, to my work, to my relationship with my family, to relationships with other coworkers, bosses. And it wasn't until, again, getting more clarity on the emotional intelligence, understanding my intelligence and the social intelligence, understanding being mindful of others' emotions that helped me get to where I am today. So simply put, it was trauma.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. And I think your point about in your situation, it was trauma that provided the impetus. I think it, for a lot of our listeners, they are in the mid-career stage of, uh, of their professional life. They're probably just on the cusp of becoming a leader. So when you look at doing some work on yourself in preparation to become a leader, What are the questions you should be asking yourself to gauge how ready you are to take on that role as leader?
1: The number one question that I believe anyone should be asking themselves, regardless of whether they have trauma or not, to get to the journey, to get to the next level, wherever they're at, is asking themselves if they're growing or learning with what they're doing. I fundamentally believe that no matter what happens in your world, if you don't have a growth mindset, if you think you're done with maybe your undergrad or maybe a couple certificate and think that's all that it's going to take to be successful, I, 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 second guess that because I think that to me demonstrates a limited mindset as opposed to a growth mindset. So I always think that, and I'm always asking myself, so I'm always advocating others to think, okay, yeah, how can you grow from this experience? What else can you do? If you're in a certain position at a certain point of your life at work, or even in service of your community, think, okay, how can I learn? How can I add more value to my teams? How can I be a more servant leader through this type of experience to get to where I'd like to, whatever that may be. And sometimes that's not so clearly defined depending on your maturity and your air level or, or your, where you're at in your life. But I think if you continue to ask yourself about a growth mindset, whether you're living into a growth mindset, I think that'll help you get to places.
0: I love conversations about growth mindsets just because I think it's an important mindset shift that everybody needs to go through. One of the areas where I think a lot of people struggle is just simply thinking in those terms. And I go back to my early to mid-career stage where you were essentially on in survival mode. So the whole idea of thinking about these higher level things was just not even on my radar. So For somebody that is facing that survival mode stage of their career, I just have to get stuff done and and keep moving forward. What were some of the things that you did or you would advise that they do to create the space for that more advanced thinking or that more strategic thinking that they need to do to put themselves in a position for success as leaders?
1: Two things. One, I surrounded myself with growth-minded leaders. My mother always used to tell me in Spanish, growing up, dire, guine, it is. tell me who you hang around with, and I'll tell you who you are. And that's when I took note of that more deliberately to say, you know what, who am I really hanging around with? Are these growth minded people? And as probably many of your listeners have experienced, who you hang around with can dictate what you get involved with, the opportunities that you get asked, or maybe even the opportunities that you get, don't get asked to, to take uh, advantage of. So. That's the very first thing is I made deliberate choices about making sure that my inner circle and people that I surrounded myself had that growth mindset. I didn't. I also had a scarcity mindset in full disclosure sometimes. I do as well. So I have to constantly ask myself, as you just mentioned, to say, OK, is this a growth move that I'm thinking about or pondering? Or is it something where I'm living into scarcity? So that self-talk that has taught me in my emotional intelligence work has really helped me crystallize and take that strategic pause to find out where I am. The second thing that i did was and i learned this actually from the people i started hanging around with that were growth more growth mindset minded versus scarcity mindset was ask them what books they read what what were they listening to in terms of podcasts for example the podcast and and the work that you do is something inspirational that i'm always advocating for so i appreciate that because it gives me a source to give my mentees and, and folks that i get to sponsor and work with but awesome books. And if you're not in the book uh, reading or you don't have time, the Audible app or whatever, your library may have something that's free, but that's been really refreshing when I'm at the gym, just listening to more positive mindset. Carol Dweck is the doctor here at UIC, University of Illinois, Chicago, that really brought the whole scarcity versus abundancy and growth mindset to light. It was one of my mentors who recommended that book. And that's what helped me crystallize how I need to think and how I need to perform to be successful.
0: All of what you mentioned is really solid, but I want to wind us back to what your mom said. Show me who you hang out with and I'll show you who you are. That's an important sort of mantra or statement that everybody should have in mind. You should be surrounding yourself with people who you want to be down the road. That's a good exercise in modeling. We open the conversation when we're talking about the drama circle. And when you're thinking about building a high-performance team, What is the drama circle and what should you be doing to get yourself out of it or avoid it? Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact Community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community, get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co. Slash HR impact. And now back to the show.
1: I learned about the drama triangle through my personal growth work and studying emotional intelligence and social intelligence. The basic premise is one where you identify certain roles that people take on. And and, and, and this is beautiful because it helps you identify, label what you're seeing with anybody and everybody. It could be your team members, it could be your partner. It could be your family member. It could be anyone that we all play different roles and based on different circumstances. The drama triangle and the roles that come to mind most frequently when I am working with high-performance teams is when I'm asking myself, is this play, person playing a victimhood role or a persecutor role? That's a second notion. Or a rescuer role. Through my work, that I've realized those three different components of the drama triangle, I realized that sometimes I was playing the rescuer mode and how that wasn't self-serving, or I was playing the persecutor mode and that wasn't self-serving in circumstances. So the drama triangle and understanding the concept that I would encourage anyone to YouTube and Google to get deeper into this psychological framework help has helped me just really compartmentalize where people are and meet them where they're at. For example, if they are in persecutor mode, persecuting someone really, Uh, going off on someone might be a good example of persecuting, labeling that, and then making sure that they take full responsibility of that. And sometimes you have to identify that with them to say, hey, what's behind that anger? Why are you persecuting me or others through this work? Identifying that, labeling for them, helping them understand that they're in a specific role, probably triggered through something that didn't go as planned or maybe something else in their life. And help them understand they need to take responsibilities of their action and to really own whatever that solution is. Not, for example, be in persecutor more mode throughout the rest of their lives because of trauma that they experienced earlier in their childhood. And sometimes that's where getting professional help, maybe getting therapy, maybe it would help them. But in all environments where you're dealing with people, and once you understand the drama triangle, you can label folks, especially teams, and understand what role they're playing. Meet them where they're at and help them get away and snap out of those different modes and take responsibility rather than playing victimhood as an example. Why, for example, they didn't
0: meet their goals. I like how you frame that out. One of the things that I'm thinking about if you were to do that as a leader is getting people to the point of even hearing that message or accepting what's being said. If you're in a leadership position and people in your team, assuming any one of these roles, there's got to be some blockers that sit in front of that before that person is ready to even hear that message. So what have you noticed works pr- particularly well in getting those blockers out of the way?
1: Coaching is the first thing that comes to mind, Dr. Jim. I think you're absolutely right. People don't necessarily know that they're in the victimhood role because they maybe didn't don't understand that the drama triangle is obviously a model that helps compartmentalize that. But I understand it because I've studied the drama triangle through this work. I think through coaching, meaning open, asking open-ended questions about the result, for example, a sales performer, sales representative and playing victimhood because they didn't meet their goals last month. You could ask some deliberate questions. What did you do to meet your goals? How did you plan for those goals? Those open-ended questions that help that person understand what responsibility they had to accomplish their goals and, or not accomplish their goals could be eye-opening to them. And that's why I love about the coaching world uh, as a leader and pursuing it through a certification like I did. One of the most instrumental skills that I've acquired as a leader is, is those coaching skills to help people emerge and see for themselves that they're playing a the victimhood as an example, why they didn't meet their goals, whatever that may be. So our bottom line it with asking those deliberate questions that sometimes as leaders take some pause and helping meet that person halfway to figure out what are the questions that's going to trigger them to do their own self-reflection? What are the questions that are going to trigger them to think, maybe I should have done this differently? And most importantly, what are the questions that's going to trigger them to realize the responsibility that they have in not accomplishing their goals? In that particular example, could be the eye-opening Aha moment for that person to say, you know what, I'm going to do things differently
0: next month to meet my goals. I like the application of the Socratic method that you're just talking about, where you're just asking questions to open up potential paths forward. So, these are really interesting conversations so far. I think we've covered a lot of ground. We've obviously talked a little bit about what the drama triangle is, what you need to watch out for, why it's important to watch out for it, and also what you should be doing from a career navigation perspective. I think the piece that's missing is how do you get started? If you're a leader, how do you build that sort of culture where you can have your team look at themselves and self-evaluate this way? If you're an individual contributor, how do you get started on doing the self-work that you talked about earlier in the conversation?
1: I think there's an internal component of what you should be thinking and considering, and there's an external component too. Internally, I would encourage a leader to do their own self-reflection, their own personal growth work to help them better understand some of the concepts that we talked about earlier. Read the books, go to YouTube, further understand, gosh, take the whole action by enrolling in a program, a certificate program, a graduate program, whatever it takes to really better understand the, the concepts that I mentioned, so that you could really be a subject matter expert and serve your teams rightfully. That's what I would do internally. Take some of those actions that require an investment of your time, requiring an investment, perhaps maybe even a financial investment. But I guarantee you, if you have that growth mindset versus scarcity mindset, you'll really enjoy the journey. Externally, it's literally applying all the concepts that you learn through those readings, through the mentors of people you hang around with, and through the personal growth work. If you choose to do that, and experimenting and playing with that by coaching, mentoring, advocating for others through this work. I love to share what I've learned, and honestly, it helps me even reinforce what I've learned and, and put it to practice. So maybe even it's a giving you as a leader an opportunity to actually conduct a workshop about what you've learned. I've been blessed with those type of opportunities when I come back to my leader and say, hey, I just learned this concept. I love it. Here's a skinny on it. I would love to share this with the rest of the team. Can I get a platform to do that? Excellent. We have an HR summit coming up. Why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about what you've learned so that we could cascade this down to others and others can learn slowly but surely. But just take those actions internally and externally. And I think
0: you're on the right roadmap
1: to success.
0: The last point that you made about learning in the open or building in the open, which is once you've learned something, you want to at least get it, figure out how you can get a platform so you can share that out. That's a really important element of it because it's not enough. The true test of what you've actually learned is the ability to teach it to somebody else. That's how you actually build a path to, to mastery. And that's how I took what you said. So Caesar, really good conversation. And I appreciate you hanging out with us. For those who are listening that want to continue the discussion, what's the best way for them to find you?
1: Would love the chance to interact with anyone, honestly. LinkedIn is my go-to source. My LinkedIn profile is up to date. LinkedIn.com backslash Caesar Lost And would love to connect with anyone. Or they could just simply Google me. I'm sure they'll find me. I'm deliberate about my online presence. So you can catch me several ways.
0: Thanks for hanging out with us and sharing uh, with us your insight. When I think about the conversation that we had, there's a couple things that I want to call out that I think is important for uh, anybody listening to understand. If you're moving down that path of becoming a leader, if you're moving down that path of even becoming a subject matter expert, As an individual contributor, I think that you have to root yourself in the concept or in the idea of thinking bigger than what you're at right now. And that was something that we covered early in the conversation. The central point in this is that you're never going to be able to maximize the impact that you can potentially have until you do the work of understanding yourself at a deep level and recognizing where your blind spots are. So if you want to be elite at anything that you do that, that almost seems like a fundamental requirement that you need to take. The other thing that I take away from the conversation Caesar is that in today's day and age, it's not enough to just learn stuff. The key thing that you mentioned at the tail end of the conversation is that you have to look for those opportunities where you can put it into practice and really take it out of the realm of theory and put it into application because that's the other accelerator that you need, to, you need to have in place. So I appreciate you relaying that out for the audience. So for those of you who have listened to the conversation, we appreciate you hanging out. If you like the conversation, leave us a review. Tune in next time where we will have another leader hop on the show and give us their game-changing realizations which help them build high-performing teams.